My friends, Mrs. Wingate has also given us the next artist on our program, the little American nightingale, Miss Pinky Wingate. Welcome to another insightful episode of The Garland Gap. Uh, today we're continuing our journey through Judy's filmography. And last time we discussed Love Finds Andy Hardy. This time we come upon a much less frustrating <laughs> and wonderfully light film uh, by Edwin Marin. Marin? I don't know how to pronounce it, but anyway, we'll just say it's Marin. Uh, 1938's Listen, Darling, uh, starring our girl, Judy Garland, Freddie Bartholomew, Mary Astor, and Walter Pidgeon. So just a little bit of a background on Listen, Darling. Um, Listen, Darling was, the backstory on it is that Oz was a little bit delayed. It was a bit behind schedule. And in order to keep their stars, um, relevant and, and out there uh, for the public um, they decided to MGM decided to team up Judy Garland and Freddie Bartholomew uh, we'll talk a little bit about the production of the film and then we will go into our classic scene by scene breakdown so this film sort of slightly overlapped uh, with the Wizard of Oz um, so she was doing it was costume tests uh, for the Wizard of Oz. She was in um, doing that, I believe, at the end of August. Was it August of 1938? 
Yes, August 27th, 1938, she was doing Karen makeup for Wizard of Oz while still in the thick of Listen Darling, which I always find kind of cool because we can, you know, I mean, Listen Darling is, is she is Dorothy Gale <laughs> through this whole film, isn't she? It's like seeing a whole other side of Dorothy Gale, which is, which is really quite sweet. And I'm going to open it up there if anybody has any comments on, on the, the pre-production timeline well it's like you said um you can just see dorothy all the way through this she's um she's blossomed so much we say this every podcast don't we she's blossomed so much but she really really has she's like you can see still some scenes and when we go scene by scene i'll touch on it some scenes clearly it's that wide-eyed innocence of dorothy but you've got hints of that absolutely beautiful woman that's soon to follow Dorothy and um, so you can really see her starting to you know what's the word transition transition yeah brain frogs everywhere tonight <laughs> it's amazing that she should pretty much work on, um, on two films at once because even she was even doing retakes on this when she was in the thick of Oz. Yeah, that, regarding like her overlapping with Oz, that's all, all I've got to say. I've got a bit more to say about like her humour, but I don't know whether one of you want to take that story because I haven't got it to hand. Of Oz or Listen Darling? Listen Darling. Did oh. I maybe you know it? Mary Astor's story. I don't know that one, no. Wait, no. Well, maybe I do if you tell me. It's in Wales for Grace's Entertainment. It's in actual lots of books now. I'm going to be paraphrasing because I'm doing it from the top of my head. While you're doing that, I'll grab the book. <laughs> but what I do remember is uh, Mary Astor said, working with Judy on this film was pure joy. She was a kid, a real kid. I'm not doing too bad here. Um, who'd get the fifth of giggles every so often. Said she just couldn't help it. Um, the director had yelled cut or something and the, the, the cry would be there goes Judy and he just had to let her get out of it. Um, oh, we all kind of got fucking read it properly. <laughs> you can Once see I that. find just... That was almost like paraphrased exactly. I think so. <laughs> what Mary Astor said, yes. <laughs> okay. uh, and you can see it in the film. You absolutely can. See, well, I was convinced I could see it in one scene, which... I'll talk about when we get to, but when I watched it the other week, I was like, can I see it? Did I imagine it? Well, it, it makes sense too, because she she just had so much fun on that set because she was, again, she was kind of surrounded by um, people that she adored. You know, Freddie Bartholomew at the time was her best friend. And to be able to make a film with him um, and also she, her and Mary always had a, a very close bond that maternal bond, right? She went on to play her mother again in Meet Me in St. Louis. So it was an all around, just a very happy shoot. And also for like, it is, a, it's another B movie really, but mm -hmm. it, the cast is like A-list. Yeah. That's a, that's a good cast and Judy's top build. Yeah. Us above Mary Astor, who went on to do Maltese Vulcan, which is, you know, legendary Walter Pidgeon. But, um, are we going to talk about foreshadowing Lisa Carley? We can insert that now. Go for it. Well, there's lots more, I'm sure. I think you've got more, but two bits of foreshadowing regarding the cast is one, Uncle Henry is again in this. Yes. And two, Walter Pigeon, who Judy played opposite on the radio version of A Star Is Born in 1942. You're, I have to say, you're off the cuff 
reading of that quote is identical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's page 44 in World's Greatest Entertainer. So John Fricky is writing that Listen Darling took over two months to complete, four weeks longer than intended, um, as Mary Astor was laid up for nearly a month after a fall from a horse. The screen veteran remembered Garland as sheer joy, young, vital, warm, affectionate and exuberant. A real kid whose sense of humour was so genuine and strong that production would be suspended when she got the giggles. There goes Judy would be the cry and we just had to wait until she got over it. I love that. I think she also goes on to say that because she had a, an accident with the horse, she kept having to walk funny on the set and Judy would crack because of her walk. <laughs> in, in the previous film, Judy was the one. He was injured. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not to this one on unfazed, thank God. Yes. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention, actually, tying back into Love Finds Andy Hardy, this just kind of gives another glimpse into how just just to understand this poor girl's schedule. So mm. she finished Love Finds Andy Hardy, I believe it was June 25th, 24th, 25th, somewhere like that. And then she went in to listen, darling, on like June 28th, <laughs> like only a couple of days in between. And she's, you know, speaking of mind shifting from one topic to another so quickly, she had to do that and get into a whole different character within a couple of days. It's just, it's wild to me. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a symptom of that old um, contract player um, system that, that, that Hollywood had at that time. You know, like I've read stories of actors nowadays, you know, because they're not tied to one particular studio. It's just going from one project to another that, you know, they have to sort of finish up one project you know there's no overlapping the way Judy had to overlap between this and Oz and then from Oz into some of the babes on arm babes in arms there was a bit of overlapping there as well um yeah you know it, it really they, they worked well imagine shooting a film in two months I know well one more thing that um we should we can maybe discuss here just before going into the scene by scene breakdown is um discuss the special bond that judy and freddie had uh both during the the filming and, and a bit before um do either one of you wanna want to take us through that you do carly i do yeah you're right i do okay <laughs> again piggybacking off of love finds andy hardy in listen darling we really do have a shift in dynamic with the male lead and Judy. Um, now, obviously, in Listen Darling, it's not really said one way or the other um, how they feel about each other or if they have a crush on each other, a little childhood crush. But what we do know is in real life, little Freddie Bartholomew was absolutely in love <laughs> with Judy. <laughs> and he recalls, you know, they'd go to... They'd go to Louis B. Mayer's house for, for movie nights on the weekends. And Freddie once recalled that it was his favorite night of the week because he would just sit there watching the movie and hold hands with Judy Garland. Just so adorable. And now, unfortunately, Judy didn't really feel that way <laughs> about him. She always kind of regarded him as a younger brother type. Um, but again, it just, it kind of, it's so sweet to know that even though we're seeing 
Judy being portrayed on screen in Love Finds Andy Hardy as, you know, the girl next door that everybody overlooks. In real life, she did have someone who was absolutely crazy in love with her. And there is a really cute story in um, Judy by Gerald Frank that says that uh, Judy and Freddie used to write each other secret um, notes uh, in their own secret code, <laughs> in their own secret language that they had developed. And the MGM studio aides and whatnot would always, they'd leave it on in their trailers kind of thing, like kind of shove it under the door. And the, the studio, um, people who worked for the studio would go in early trying to decipher what they were writing to each other. <laughs> it's so sweet. Freddie recalls him, you know, holding hands at Louis B. Mayer's house on a um, great documentary, MGM, When the Lion Roars. Quite sweet, because he goes, he, he says, Judy and I were very much in love. Then he stops himself and says, I think I might be phrasing that wrong. I was certainly very much in love with Judy. Like, yeah. Oh, and it just makes you think, I know he definitely wasn't Judy's type. She, at that point, she always went for older types, but... Um, mm -hmm. He probably would have been a sweet little husband for her in the long run. He would have been. The quote is also in uh, World's Greatest Entertainer as well. I just, I love that. I love that so much. And you can even hear hear it in his voice when he does talk about it on When the Lion Wars. He just speaks about her with such a, a warmth in his voice. And it, it's so nice to hear. To people who had a crush on her, sorry, we will get back into the film. Another one that I find quite sweet is, you know, Sydney Miller, who's in the Mickey Judy films. Yes. Uh, apparently he was besotted with her as well. Oh, Like around the time of like, you know, the like 30s, early 40s, strike up the band. He said she just had, he said she was so much fun, funny, and he, he said she just had the most amazing face. Mm. He was just besotted with her. And again, I always look out for it. Watch watch the fellow's reaction to it in the Lakonga. <laughs> yeah. I think that dress might have something to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised she wasn't blurred. I swear to God, like, what's her name? And for me and my gal, it had to be blurred. Like, because it's very, like, whoa, Judy. <laughs> oh, not only do you see it, but she, like, shimmies it. Like, yeah. It's like, oh, shake what your mother gave, yeah. <laughs> Those fellas' eyes around it are not looking at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, like, the biggest... I, I don't want to say it's not a tragedy but the biggest I don't know what word you'd put on it the, the, the unfortunate thing for Judy is like she was obviously attractive in so many ways but she was stood there then at a studio a film studio that promoted these goddess type women that still today the influencers on Instagram, nobody can look like them. They're all staged photographs and everything. And, you know, but that was what MGM did then. And she was trying to compare herself to them, which is in, in the wrong way. She was just as attractive, just in a slightly different way. Yeah, it was like the Times version of like, say the Kardashians, wasn't it? Yeah. Which I don't really, I mean, gorgeous, but I don't like the whole kinds of, you know. No. There's nothing natural about it. <laughs> And what really set Judy apart, and I've said this so many times, is that she had the natural beauty. You yeah. know, the it was the studio that was bringing up all these blonde bombshells, cake on the makeup. There's nothing natural about that. What Judy had was complete, 
utter natural beauty that nobody could even, you know, come close to. And it's just too bad that she was never taught to embrace that and that the men around her were not taught to notice that. I love the um, white dress that she wears towards the end of the movie. And it's nearly as if she's wearing the little, a littler version of Mary Astor's dress. I, it looks very, very similar. Um, I think that is gorgeous on her with the cardigan over it. Um, and uh, sorry, I'm probably bringing it back here as well. But just like when I was re-watching Listen Darling for this, it really struck me like how her voice is so um, mature sounding in this one, even compared to Love Finds Andy Hardy. I just think there's a huge difference. I Once or twice, especially with 10 pins in the sky, you, mm. you're kind of going, is that voice really coming from her? Because it's, you know, it really struck me. I, I probably did before, but it really, you know, um, it really came, came out this time. Um, yeah, that was just, sorry, I've just thought of something else. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that white dress um, towards the end of the movie. I do too. I actually tried to get a replica of that for this podcast, but couldn't get it. Um, so I just got the blouse and cosy, which was easy. Obviously, we don't know the actual colours, so I just sort of guessed the colours. Mm. A few things about the costumes for me is, one, I really like the costuming in this. They're very simple. One at the beginning is very similar to Betsy Booth. In a first in a first scene with Andy and Love Finds Andy Hardy, but I do think the fact that they're supposed to be poor helps with the costume and because there's no sort of like frilly frocks and things like that. Yeah. It's just skirts, dresses, plain. They're quite plain. Also, the age appropriate. Again, let us know when you want us to discuss her age, Carly, and we'll bring that up. And I also couldn't help but notice, considering this overlaps with Oz, the fact that she is in just simple, you know, simple fit and clothes. You could really see, sorry to be crude here, womanly figure. Yeah. Right before Oz. They're not finding anything in, they're not trying to disguise anything. She's more curvy in this than probably any other film. I couldn't help but notice, and it really suits her because she's just left to be herself and considering it's MGM I was like you know quite proud of them for letting that be and also um there's kind of an unofficial thing that goes about in it in her books and biographies that Babes and Arms was the first film where she played someone her own age now we sort of kind of mainly disputed that with Pigskin not Pink yeah but Pigskin Parades we weren't sure about aging thoroughbreds I'm convinced she's playing her own age in this. Um, I think we discussed her in junior high, aren't they? Which would make her like 15, 16. Mm -hmm. So is she supposed to be her own age in this? I always thought she was because there is a comment when she's talking to, um, to her mom at the table and her yes. mom is saying, when you go into, into what does she say? She There's something about there being on the summer holidays and then... Yeah you're going to go to school in like September and haven't they just graduated from junior high at the beginning? Like she sings at the graduation. Yeah. At least that was my interpretation. So, so do you go, forgive me now, I should have looked this up. 
do you go from junior high to high school or, or what way does that work? Does anyone know? I think it's probably different in every, um, in every area. I don't know what it was back then, but junior high for us would be like 12, 13. And then in high school, 14 to 17 or whatever, 14 to 18. Okay. So I, I don't know, like, cause it, it kind of, it really does imply that she's going off to school um, as like after high school almost. That, that, that was the vibe that I got from what her mom said um which would actually put her a little bit older but it, it all depends on you know what I, I don't I guess we should have <laughs> looked it up what it was back then but and also yeah. like Freddie Bartholomew is as a character like I know in real life he's what two years younger than Judy give or take like yeah. but they're like I'm guessing in the film that they're meant to be about the same age and he's driving yeah so he has to be at least 16 in the US to start driving yeah I assume it was then so he has to be at least 16 in the film yep and 1938 was when Judy got her first car in yeah. real life so <laughs> she must have been 16 <laughs> so I think we can all conclude she is in fact her age with her own age we've decided <laughs> the costumes as well the fact that she's like got a womanly figure they wouldn't let it be like that if she was playing a 12 13 year old again would they no that's yeah. true they'd yeah. put her in more baby doll dresses to try and disguise it or whatever but like she's just in normal one of the male late 1930s dresses cardigans you know there's nothing yeah yeah one more thing touching on this kind of ties in with with the costumes um but her hair how lovely is her hair? I love those loose curls. Like it's not terribly done up. It very much fits that role and it really fits her too. I just love it. Oh. I'll save this for the scene by scene thing, but remind me to say something about the hair in Zing with the Strings. Oh, yes, yes. Actually, I have one for, uh, for one of the scene by scene as well. It's really okay. just fawning over her hair in this <laughs> one particular shot but like <laughs> I wonder if yours is the same as mine Carly but we'll save it to the scenes sounds good <laughs> um anything else that we want to touch on with the overview of the film before we dive into the plot and then a scene by scene breakdown just that it's a real um it's such an enjoyable easy watch of a film and you, you're literally smiling from beginning to end with this it's just such a charming lovely little film even if there's a bit of a kidnapping in it but it's still <laughs> <laughs> it's hugely charming and it really is it's just an ideal one for like a rainy Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon and you're not going anywhere not doing anything on with Listen Darling and just enjoy it yeah the film reminds me a lot of it like a 1930s version of the parent trap in a way <laughs> okay so i guess we'll move right along so actually this is we're taking i'm taking connor's words right out of his mouth listen darling is a very easy watch and an all-around feel-good film about a young girl pinky who feels the weight on, of the world on her shoulders when she realizes her widowed mother is willing to marry a man she does not love uh simply to provide security for her two children 
including herself and her younger brother. Um, she enlists the help of her best friend, Buzz, played by Freddie Bartholomew, and concocts a rather ambitious plan to kidnap her, uh, taking her away from the boring old banker with whom she is meant to, or was wanting to marry, um, to live a carefree life on the open road. While on their journey, their plan shifts a little uh, when they meet handsome lawyer, played by Walter Pigeon. <sighs> Love him. <laughs> <laughs> he seems every bit the perfect partner for Dottie and thus ensues a rather hilarious bumpy road to love. So I open it up there. Any over any thoughts on the plot, Sarah? My only gripe with the film is the very rushed ending. Mm. Yeah. But as, as you both stated, it's a different film for Judy's others, even though she's still she's still singing in it. She's not like playing a show business type, which is a bit of a change. She's playing on an everyday girl. And as you said, it's just easy to watch, you know, rainy day film like an old chick flick rom-com mm -hmm. road movie yeah. win one the the thing i was going to say and i should have put it in in the foreshadowing um but you just made me think of it there again carly um <laughs> judy is pinky wingate and in summer stock it's the wingates and the falbreeze <laughs> yes <laughs> I love that. I love that. There's just so many connections. Every single time we do a podcast on one of her films, we wind up talking about some form of foreshadowing or connections to her later work, which is just eerie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now that we've got the plot, um, I guess we'll dive in and start going scene by scene, discuss our thoughts on each one. Mm -hmm. um, so the film opens with what we've established, I think is a graduation <laughs> here. <laughs> anyway, so this scene is one of, of, of a big one uh, for Judy as she sings a song that is, you know, was synonymous with her whole career, Zing Went the Strings of My Heart. Well, think along with Over the Rainbow, The Man That Got Away. You made me love you. This is one of the vital songs in Judy's career, and not just her career, but her personal life. Um, most Judy fans know this, but some may not. This is the song she used for her MGM audition. And it's also the song she was singing on the radio the night her father passed away. And it's a song she sang before those events, and she carried on singing it until for the rest of her career. Uh, so it's both a both happy and poignant moment and her version in this film is just lovely. I'm just, I, I'm really just going to echo what Sarah was saying there. It's that song stayed with her through the her whole career, you know, right up until the 60s. I think it seems to drop from her concert repertoire around 1964 after the Judy Garland show. Um, but up until then, it was part of her like repertoire. Nearly every concert, she sang that song, and she sang the swing version of it, or not the swing version, the kind of big band, brassier version of it, which I love, and I love this slower one as well. But what I was going to say earlier was, you can see, because I know we're going to talk about her hair, um, you can see this is definitely 
I, I don't know, is it from two filming days or whatever, but her hairstyle changes in the middle of the song. And I much prefer, it's a subtle change, but it does change. And I much prefer the first half here. It gets a bit too sort of styled in the second bit. That's so funny. I actually never noticed that. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and uh, take and have have another look. See, I do find her whole styling in this scene more on par with, say, like Love Finds Andy Hardy mm. than the rest of the film. I don't know, it's, unless I have it in front of me. I don't know the filming of the timeline, but the timeline of the film and get it right. <laughs> but, yeah, I do find this is very similar to your usual 1930s Judy. Mm. And then the rest of the film, we seem to just let it, let it go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also love you, uh, Connor. You just reminded me when you know when the when it cuts to Freddie, and he's just like just <laughs> looking at him, like just so. <laughs> and then he gets shot a dirty look. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> I thought that was just, that was so sweet. <laughs> well, I know he's not Uncle Henry, but I'm in this, I, you see, I can't yeah, remember. Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe, he's Uncle Joe in this. Um, he seems to be the only one not particularly bothered by Judy singing, because everyone else in the audience is like, ah, and he's like, what? Huh? Everyone is like, that's a Freddy, he's like, that's a drops. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Also, side note, um, Buzz is apparently Canadian. Or should I become a little more informal and call him Buzz? The name which he has gained since coming to this community from his native Canada. Huh? Huh? Even though he's clearly English, but you know. <laughs> right? <laughs> I never noticed that. I did when I was watching it last week. Mm. When we posted the film, it was set from Canada. I was like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> Represent. <laughs> Does anyone want to mention like the version of this song? Well, there was there was there was um, two versions pre-recorded. There was this one that ended up in the film, which is the slow ballad version. Dear, when you smiled at me, I heard a melody. Me from the start, something inside of me started a symphony, sing with the strings of my heart. And then there was the, the swing, jazzier version um, as well. Sing with the strings of my star. Oh! 
sure which one would fit this better. I mean, I like both versions, but what do you think? I like the slow one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the slow one suits this. Mm. Like, usually I prefer the faster version. But mm. the Defo recording has the slow version, then it segues into... Yeah. I think that's what this was supposed to do, wasn't it? Start slow and then go into, like... I yeah. think so, yeah. But I think this is just right for the scene. Mm -hmm. Maybe the, the swing would have been, like, it's scandalous in a small town. <laughs> High school sort of a thing. I think that's why they changed it. Yeah. It was a bit too edgy. <laughs> yeah. Because we have to remember, like, that swing type music in the 1930s was, like, their version of when rock and roll came out. It was like, <gasps> <laughs> That is just wild. <laughs> Beauty the Bear got expelled. <laughs> For singing jazz. <laughs> no, like, what did I do? I just went, da, da, do, da, da, dee, dee, dee. <laughs> And then we have, um, one of the more sad scenes uh, after this where Pinky hears her mom crying. Um, um, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Are we going to talk about the little scene after? Oh, oh my God. Yes, I mean, there is a scene. <laughs> but um, these loads of scenes I've forgotten about throughout this, but I mean, I don't even know whether it's relevant whether we need to talk about it, the scene after the ceremony. Oh, actually, yes, it is kind of relevant because this is our the first time where we meet Drubs, who is the banker that <laughs> that uh, the mom is thinking about marrying. And I think this is also the scene where, yeah, this is the scene where Drubs and um, and Dottie have that conversation, right? Where he's like, "I I can support you. I can give you what you need." So yes, that is a very important. Oh, gosh, I am so sorry, guys. I am so okay. sorry. So thoughts on that as a as a whole. It's the one who is me who brought it up and now I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got one thing to say. A bit like Gerald and everybody sing, I feel a bit sorry for drums. He never really did anything wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like he's not an attractive man conventionally, but he just wants to provide. Yeah. <laughs> Neither was Andy Hardy. Neither was Andy Hardy. And he got Lana Turner and Esther Williams as a girlfriend, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I have to I have to agree. I, you know, watching it through um, last week, it was, I couldn't really figure out why Pinky was, and, and Buzz were just so against this guy to the point where they just hated him. <laughs> like, it was, that was a bit uh, interesting. And um, even Uncle Joe doesn't like him. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's because that, that, that's just something that they wanted to just drive along the plot. Like mm -hmm. they, they just really wanted to hammer it down that this guy is just not a likable character, but they didn't give him anything to do that wasn't likable. <laughs> I mean, look, it's a short film. It's less than an hour and a half, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So they can't get too much like character development in there, which is something I do really some need often character development. We're led to believe that they don't like him because the mum has to, you know, marry him and she she obviously doesn't like someone who's making a mum unhappy. But it, the only one who sort of like understands he's not a bad man is like Dottie, you know, the mum. Mm. Even though she doesn't love him, she you know, she knows he's not a bad man, but 
I don't know, but kids, kids don't always have that. One interesting point to bring up regarding that dynamic is um, this whole, not the, not the plot, but a, a very similar version of this was being played out in real life, in Judy's home life. Mm. This was around the time when her mom was wanting to marry a man, Will Gilmore, <laughs> that um, Judy and her sisters very strongly disapproved of. And, and that's interesting to me how this is, this is all playing out at the very same time. And, you know, again, it, it must've just hit a bit too close to home for Judy as she's acting these scenes, right? She, she knows what that's all about. Well, her acting in this is probably like some of the best up until us. Mm. It's very, you know, you can see the, the essence of Dorothy in her acting. Mm. Oh yeah. As she said, I think you've just hit the nail on the head. I haven't even thought about that before, Carly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I, I read, um, I actually went on to the IMDb page for this movie and um, was just reading through some of the reviews that people had left. And some pointed out that it's a pity when you look back now that for a woman, her only option was to, you know, a widow, because she's a widow in case we didn't mention that, um, you know, her only option is to marry a man who might be able to provide for the family, even though she doesn't really want to. And I, and that's kind of touched on even a little bit later when, you know, she's talking to Pinky about going to school and being able to do more than she was able to do kind of a thing. But it's just, it's a little bit kind of like, it's a real sign of the times, I guess. Mm-hmm. That is actually something I was going to bring up again, oh. like when we were talking about and, and Love Finds Andy Hardy, that... Again, you've got the whole kind of, you know, a woman needs a man thing in there, you know, mm. like, so frustrating at the the time. But it is also addressed, which is a good thing, that by Judy's generation, even though it still was going, she's saying to Pinky, you're not going to have to depend on anyone, you're going to be independent. Yeah. I really like that part of the film for like yeah. 1988. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very progressive for the time. Absolutely. Well, that leads us right into the conversation <laughs> at the breakfast table right after Pinky hears her, hears Dottie crying. And this is kind of, this is the shifting point of the plot where now Pinky feels like it's up to her uh, to save her, basically, to try to get her away, do whatever she can to, um, to get her away from this poor banker. <laughs> <laughs> And any thoughts, any thoughts on that that we haven't already covered with that little, uh, that little bit? I want to address people of me mentioning why she calls her mum Dottie. Gee, Dottie, I wish I had a job. What? Oh, yeah. I think again, this is a, a thing, again, it shows that she is a bit more mature than in other films. I think it's kind of, They've got no father, and Judy's the oldest. I see it as if I'm gonna, you know, dissect a bit, a bit the characters a bit more. Dotty treats Pinky as, as an equal. Mm-hmm. Mm. Got, you know, like talking down to her as a daughter. I just see it as that much. Plus, some people do call her um, parents by the names. I know a few that do, but I don't see it as a sign of disrespect. I see it as more of kinds of inequality between the two of them, which I think Connor mentioned the outfits. I think that's portrayed and similar. Yeah. 
in the costume and as well if I am going to do sort of um what's it called oh my god what's it called in-depth um close analysis if I want to go into that side of it I'd say that was like you know symbolized in all that I never quite thought of it that way. I was also very, you know, confused as to why Pinky was calling her Dottie. As in all of her other films, she always calls her parents mom or mother or father or any, you know. Mm. So I was I was always very confused about that one. I think, like, Sarah's right. I, I, I think it's to do with the fact that, you know, their dad has passed away and I guess they, as the eldest girl and all of that, and even my mother would have, like my granddad's name was Thomas, but she always called him Tommy. And she was the eldest girl there as well. So I, I don't know, it's just, I don't think it's disrespectful either, basically. By the way, the terminology I was looking for before I got my brain frog was close textual analysis. <laughs> what you call it when you're reading a film you know the subtleties like things in the scenery that might hint to characters or plots the little things I love doing that and um, that's kind of how I read it and it's all open to interpretation as well it's not right or wrong so that's a term I haven't heard in years <laughs> I could be talking rubbish <laughs> <laughs> but one more thing about that here's another piece of foreshadowing too her mother's name is Dorothy. Yes. <laughs> These two actresses had really good chemistry, by the way. I just want to put that out there. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And she was, I think she was lovely, Mary Astor. Again, she's probably not somebody you would have thought of as your typical, like, glamorous classic beauty, but I thought she was very pretty. Oh, she's perfect for the role. Like, absolutely perfect. You can tell, and obviously we'll get into this as we go along with the plot of the film, but she's not supposed to be a glamorous woman. She's supposed to be, you know, mother who loves that carefree life, you know, even though she does want the stable, the stability and security, financial security for her children, deep down inside, she is a woman who loves adventure mm. and she loves that carefree, you know, that carefree nature because that's that's what their who their dad was that could be it as well with the it's just as you're talking there it's made me think that could be it with the name thing as well like Dottie could be a bit of a hippie in the 30s <laughs> like and maybe you know <laughs> yeah. maybe she likes being called Dottie and that's it that's, that's a good point Billy calls her Dottie as well doesn't he I can't remember if that's the case, my whole theory of them being equals has just gone right out the window. <laughs> well, no, it's equal between her and, and Pinky, like. Yeah, but I'm sure I heard him call her Dottie unless I was dreaming. Well, for sure, Buzz calls her Dottie as well, which again, I would have thought, would you know, would it not have been Mrs. Wingate? That also hints at what kind of relationship Pinky and Buzz had. Like, mm. clearly Buzz is someone that grew up with Pinky and you know Dottie kind of regards Buzz as, as you know one of her own you know like growing up if you were really close with your friend their parents would always you know oh you're my second daughter or you yeah. know that's that's kind of the, the the vibe that I got with these with that dynamic yeah I always kind of assumed Buzz and Pinky met when they were that big like yeah. at, at something kindergarten or whatever and they've just been friends for 
since the year one. Like, And that would make sense if he's calling her Dottie, if he's using the same name as Pinky uses. <laughs> so their dynamic's like brother and sister, isn't it? Mm. There's no hint of romance between them. No. But, no. you know, it could be, again, open to interpretation. Yeah. Would they grow up to be romance and be best of us friends? I won't go into your theories, Connor. Oh, <laughs> that Pinky and Buzz, when Pinky grows up, she's going to be Buzz's supportive best friend when he comes out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what is the next scene that we're getting at here? Um, oh, yes, then we come to uh, Pinky going to Buzz venting about this this current situation that uh, that is plaguing her family and this is where buzz <laughs> comes up with the grand idea um to kidnap them that's gonna work <laughs> After checking with uncle joe <laughs> yep yep gotta make sure that the legalities are all you know <laughs> i love when buzz is starting to formulate the idea about like getting the law involved because Buzz's character is wanting to be a lawyer when he grows up and he's like maybe we could sue him could we Buzz it's just the way she says it just I just think it's so funny maybe we could sue him sue daddy no no drums could we Buzz the way she fears she's like who Dotty <laughs> she's just yeah. I think it's so cute when she's crying and she says he's, but you will marry him and he'll sit in daddy's chair and go, ha ha. But she will. I know she will. And he'll sit there in daddy's chair and go, ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> and can I also say that I heard you, I went on record in um, Pigskin Parade saying, I only ever heard a list once. Since I've said that, I've heard it in like nearly every film I've watched. A lisp in this, um, when he dashes off and she says buzz, um, you can hear a lisp there. I told you, once once you hear it once, you can't unhear it. <laughs> and this is, okay, so the next scene here, this is one of my favorites where Pinky is oh, ever so subtly gathering all of her things packing everything in making sure that you know they can get this plan going she's throwing the clothes out the window <laughs> and buzz is trying to catch everything and this is the scene that her hair blew me away sarah is this yeah. yours too this this two other scenes i was thinking of but does she blow her hair in at one point in this scene <laughs> think maybe she does it's one it's as soon as she um as soon as she throws like a pile of clothes out the window or something and then she's in the window and her hair is kind of messed up a little uh but it's just so gorgeous I buzz buzz drops is coming down the road i get pure uh lily mars vibes from that <laughs> Yes! <laughs> I, I can't remember whether she blew it or I'm just pitching her blow it, you know, like Lily Mars did. Oh, yeah. Lily Mars. And then uh, I love the scene, too, where she's running down the stairs. She's got, you know, all this luggage in her hand and just, like, trotting along. <laughs> I've got one thing to point out on that, though. She's clearly carrying a bird cage. Yes! <laughs> I'm not a poor bird. I mean, <laughs> 
And then we never see the bird again. <laughs> Sarah, the way you went, that poor bear. <laughs> oh, that was just <laughs> Oh, I composed myself here. <laughs> and that is the highlight of our podcast today. <laughs> um, one more thing from me on this scene. Go, Connor. And, um, <laughs> I am surprised we haven't said it before now <laughs> because we have the Dorothy. Oh, Dorothy, yes. Yes, Dorothy is here. She is in the building in this scene. Jiminy Crickets. Yes, she is. Jiminy Crickets. <laughs> Yes, we have uh, we have a little excerpt, a little snippet of Dorothy herself, a preview in this film. Oh my gosh! Yep, just in the same exact tone, everything. Jiminy Crickets. <laughs> it's it's actually spooky. Like it's just whoa. I've got a theory as well. You know the way Judy was doing retakes on Listen's All and when she was working on us. Mm-hmm. This theory could be just completely out of the water I could be pulling it out my backside but I think some in some scenes in this it is a bit longer isn't it and yes like in this scene I'm convinced that's when she was working on the Wizards of Oz because her hair was longer it could well be yep because like I mean the hair changes length in Oz yep. like <laughs> like don't even get me started on how that happened is just beyond me but so clearly like you know they weren't very conscious of hair length. <laughs> Continuity was not a concern back then. No, not that it would really. cost that amount of money to go and correct something so minor. <laughs> go. Can I just say, you were talking about how she's like throwing things out the window, running up and down. How was Dossie not aware of all this commotion, please? <laughs> yeah. Shouting outside, Pinky and Buzzing are open, Pinky and Buzzing are open. How did she not hear all this? She's just like cooking a roast dinner, whatever she's cooking away. Don't know. Not like she was being subtle, Pinky. She's lashing things out the window. <laughs> oh no. And can oh. I just say as well, Ian, Billy, sorry, I will shut up. Billy asked Buzz what she, she's, he's doing with Pinky's clothes. Did Pinky only pack her own stuff and the beard, or did she pack like Everyone else's clothes as well. <laughs> That's a fair point, yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's funny all the little things you notice in, in little B-movies like that. You know, little plot holes. And <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we can move on to the next, uh, the next scene, the, ac- the actual kidnapping itself. Um, I always found this, this to be quite a, a funny scene as, you know, Dottie is being shoved into the trailer and they're all driving along and you see Dottie in behind. You've gone too far to back down now. We're only as far as the old lumber mill. Hi! <laughs> as they're driving along and the look of just concern on Pinky's face. <laughs> this scene is one of the ones where I love her hair, by the way. Yeah. So first in the car when she's crying and then when they stop, she asks Buzz to pull over and she says, um, Buzz, oh, Buzz, you're a doll. And she says that in another film. What is it? That's another bit of foreshadowing. I've completely gone blank considering how many times I've seen all the films. It's not Nelly <laughs> Kelly, is it? Possibly. I think the dad, not the dad, yeah, the dad, Charles Winger, doesn't he go, doesn't he say 
Jerry Kelly is a darling lad, a darling lad. I wonder is that what I'm thinking of? Yeah, I'm thinking of Judy saying it though. But then I'm thinking, did she, because that was already in it, did she say it as well? Possibly. Hmm. <laughs> but anyway, I'm digressing there. Um, and obviously they're knocking on the door and Buzz is trying to reason. Mm. And two things is that, that close-up of Judy with the big mm. brown eyes and the loose hair. Mm -hmm. And then Buzz is very sexual. Um, sexual? Oh, my God. God dear. <laughs> <laughs> what film are you watching? <laughs> and then we had the brush on Judy. <laughs> very sexist comment. Oh, it's like reasoning with a piece of cheese as it is to reason with women. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the scenes where I do love her hair. Yeah, no, I, there's not a lot I can say on this. Just that, yeah, the close-ups of Judy are gorgeous. Her hair is gorgeous. Um, um, and I, I, I love the way the realisation on, on um, Dottie kind of, it starts to sink in what, Dot, what Pinky is trying to tell her. And she's like, you're both absolutely mad. And da, 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 but I love you for it. And then it just dissolves into the bumpy road to love. <laughs> I've got you, you've got me. Who cares how rough the road may be? We'll go bumpy, 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 bump on the bumpy road to love. Okay. Is it just me, you know, obviously the film and this with something, you know, rock and roll, obviously, <laughs> you know, the projected on the back. This might be me just imagining things. Does anyone notice when Judy, she's obviously miming along, although I think she did sing, that she doesn't open her mouth very much. She doesn't move her mouth too much when she's singing. I actually noticed that yeah. this time around when yeah. I watched it. I, do you think it's because of this? I think she's about to hurl because of all the bumping. So she's like... It's just it's, a little thing that knows us. But what, what do you think about Bumpy Road to Love? Do you like it? Do you think it's silly? Do you think it's cute? All of the above. I like it's it really is a silly song, but it's again, I think it's another one of those examples where she can take something that's not always like cold porter, but make it seem as if it's I don't know what like it. I really enjoy it. It's actually a really I used to listen to this a lot when the, um, uh, you might remember, Sarah, the collector's gems from the MGM Films CD set first came out and it had the Listen Darling songs on it. I listened to this quite a lot because I just, and even like, it's actually, um, when I was thinking about preparing for this, it's kind of Judy's Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> I love it too. I think it's just the cutest song. And uh, as a parent, it was one of the songs that I used to play a lot for James because it's just, it's so, we go bump deep, bump deep, bump. like it, it's so perfect. It's, uh, it's such a catchy song. <laughs> I absolutely love it. But Sarah, what you were saying about that, um, she doesn't open her mouth fully on the, the lip sync to the, the, the playback. I, the only other time I can think of that she doesn't lip sync fully is in Swanee in A Star Is Born. There's one little section where she's not quite moving her mouth, uh, uh, you know, as wide with the singing. And it's very strange that she does that. Well, has anyone noticed in the hoedown the part where she's not lip syncing at all? I'd have to watch it again. Yeah, yeah. It's the part where she's dancing with Mickey. Um, the soundtrack still playing her like vocals and Mickey. So I don't think it's just hers. And no one singing along whatsoever. 
that must have been a change in the editing or something that they weren't, you know, they just changed it around or something. But yeah, interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> Makes me notice. That's why I love doing these podcasts on our filmography because you go back and watch the films with a whole new lens on and you start seeing things that you never would have noticed before. Anyway, shall we yank it back to listen, darling? <laughs> I do love our tangents though when we go off onto other things it's just oh I love it <laughs> um so now we get to another scene another very cute scene where they're all sitting around um they've decided they're gonna go on this little camping trip they call it I guess and then they're all sitting around the dinner table pulling straws to see who's going to wash the dishes and one of the cutest things I do want to point out right off the hop <clears throat> is I love when so Buzz pulls the short straw and he goes, oh, this is the third time this week or whatever that I've had to wash the dishes. And Judy says, oh, I feel so bad in like a sarcastic tone. And Buzz goes, Neh. Well, it looks as if you and I will have to wash the dishes, Buzz. Gosh, this is the third time in a row for me. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Think of you take Billy. Run She's got that little sailor dress on here, hasn't she? Yeah. Like that, I think it's really cute. Yeah, it is. It is cute, isn't it? Isn't this... Um... Forgive me now, I'm just trying to remember. So this is what happens when we watch it a week ago and then. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, this is where she brings Billy off and then they come back soaked. I think that's the following morning. This is when they've gone for milk. Oh, the milk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, she brings him back and he, she says he tried to play such and such with it. And he's built it. You know, it, yeah. Yeah. And I think this is also the scene when Buzz and Dottie have like a bit of that heart to heart where, yeah. you know, the true intentions start coming out. And, and um, I think this is where Buzz gets the idea, well, maybe we can find it, another man. <laughs> if we can just find another man for her to marry. Who has insurance. Who has insurance. That's very important. <laughs> <laughs> that's the scene when um, Pinky wakes him up, isn't it? But he comes up with the idea to find another man with pinky, doesn't he? When she wakes him up. Uh, oh yeah, yep. And then he's talking to Dossie, and um, she's like saying, "Why does she not like Mister Drugs?" And she's saying, "Well, I do like him." And um, then Pinky wakes him up and says, "What was Dossie say? Was Dossie saying anything?" And he was like, "No." And she's like, "She was." I can tell by the way she said she wasn't. And yes, yes. The conversation he's saying she does want to marry drugs, and he's going, and she, she says, like, oh, she couldn't marry anyone except daddy. And that's when he says, what if we have two drugs? Yeah. But the scene where she wakes him up, um, that's the one where, again, I love her hair. That's the other scene. I like her little pajamas and dressing gown. I just couldn't sleep. I, I kept wondering. Was Daddy talking to you about drugs when you were washing the dishes? Now listen, what do you want to go jumping your conclusions for? Now, now listen, she, was, she didn't say a thing. She no. was. I can tell by the way you say she wasn't. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> Better than those frilly nices and stuff. Yes. Um, two things. This is the scene where I'm convinced I could see Judy um, trying to suppress a giggle. <laughs> At the oh, end, okay. when he's like going on one, and she's like, Shh, shh. I'm convinced I saw it dead subtle, but I can't find it since I first saw it. So I might have imagined it. <laughs> and 
this is also the scene where I feel like um, I can see the way Freddie Bartholomew looks at Judy mm. in real life. But again, I don't know whether I'm just imagining that. There's a word for that when you're, when you're, is it like projecting, projecting onto the scene? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I find the scene, even though it's not Judy, I find the scene where, they, where he meets Walter Pigeon really funny. It's hilarious. Oh, yep. <laughs> Life, <laughs> being long. Oh, it's brilliant! All the questions. <laughs> Is this your wife in the yeah. photograph? <laughs> yeah. Must be lovely to take pictures of your wife or something. Yeah, it's like a little interview or something. Yeah. An interview for for Dottie's husband. <laughs> and then he's so polite to Buzz. He's like, goes through all the thing, all the questions, all the, blah, blah, blah. and then might I ask why you're so interested? Yeah. <laughs> Buzz just blames the fact that he wants to study law. Yes. The reason why he's like interrogating him. Which I find, unless I, I'm missing something, he's a lawyer and Dottie wants to marry somebody with security. And later on in the movie, I know we'll be talking about it, but later on in the movie, it's all about the fact that he's like get up and go and, you know, goes off on adventures. He never actually manages to tell Dossie, I don't think, that he is a lawyer. Dossie knows he's a lawyer because Buzz tells him. Because she's... Oh, right. So it's weird that she's, like, put off by his, you know, carefree attitude, but she must realise he's got money. Yeah, that's what I was... Th- I was like, do you not realise he have money, guard? Go on. <laughs> but, like, we're picking such holes in, like, a little... B movie that's as Sarah said less than an hour and a half in length it's just it's me- not meant to be serious it's meant to be an easy watch something you don't have to pay attention to these little plot yeah. holes <laughs> we've got um after what's his face is mess Walter Pigeon we've got Pinky and Billy coming back to AC. yeah and that's when Buzz says to Pinky oh I've met I've met someone yeah. and then we've got the whole I can't, I can't remember how, oh yeah, she gets cleaned up and, and she's trying to take Richard Thale out and he tries to follow them and they say, oh, go and hunt some beavers, these new striped ones. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. With him and then they wait in Mr. Thaler's trailer. Can I have a rant about the skunk scene? Go for it. Obviously they've got rid of Billy saying these striped beavers in the woods and Mr. Thalo is a photographer who's setting up this photograph. Gorgeous photograph of this mum skunk with some baby skunks. And Billy says that these are striped beavers. And he meets Mr. Thalo who argues with them not to shoot them, saying, how would you like it if someone shot your mother? And then, but Billy, okay, it's 1938, but Billy shoots the mum. And we never know what happened to the baby skunks. <laughs> because obviously this is an important plot point so it obviously has to happen but I can't I can't deal with it after seeing the image of those little baby skunks with the mum but just to say he shoots them with like they're not real things it's like toy things with the little like suction cup yeah, thing. With the little suction thing on it like it didn't yeah. or it didn't do that until them you see that skunk there well that's the little skunk's mother now the little skunk doesn't want his mother shot any more than you do you just startled them. It just startled <laughs> them, that's all. It's only a toy thing, that's all. I thought it was a proper bow and arrow. No! <laughs> oh. Could you imagine a child like that with a real weapon? <laughs> <laughs> 
It'd be only be like the thing if I shot it here on the wall, it's just stick to the wall. Yeah. I'm sure it would probably hit them, but it, it wouldn't kill no, them. It wouldn't kill them, no. He just ruined uh, Richard's shot. <laughs> he just ruined the picture. Sorry. Oh, God. Sorry. <laughs> My hell rap was for nothing then. No, because that's to, that's the whole joke of the thing, that Billy wants to be, what, why is it, Davy Crockett or one of them? Yeah. And, like, he's only got a toy thing, that's all. Yeah. Daniel Boom Daniel Boom, sorry, yeah. Please ignore me, I'm so stupid. I'm so sensitive about animals, sorry. That's okay, yeah. So, obviously, when when uh, when Billy shoots the skunk, well, what does the skunk do? <laughs> Sprays him. <laughs> and... and Thus ensues a just chain reaction of events. Um, nobody wants to get anywhere near Billy. So Pinky and Buzz tie him to a tree. <laughs> We're really going into foreshadowing here. Pinky wearing the face mask. <laughs> we have Buzz with a, with a nose clip, but uh, Pinky has a nice little face mask on, just giving us a just a little glimpse into what's gonna happen. Twenty twenty, Binky Wingate was COVID ready. <laughs> I'd I'd never noticed it. I hadn't watched the film. I'd say since COVID started, and and then when I watched it, I was like, ah, there she is. Yeah, <laughs> I did exactly the same thing. <laughs> I was like, ah, that's the new normal. When Walter Pigeon's character goes back to the the trailer to find Dottie, the the woman responsible for Billy, um, that's sort of when we really get to see um, where we get to see every uh, where we get to see Buzz's plan kind of start to fall into place. You know, now we've got the we've got the meat cute. Uh, we've got um, Pinky starting to realize that. You know, she's hearing a laugh come from her mother that she hasn't heard in a very long time. And she finally thinks, you know what, this could work. <laughs> this could work. And it's just, it's such a sweet, such a sweet scene. When she says, oh, you look beautiful when you laugh. <laughs> Thinking that man over there was so funny. <laughs> oh, Dottie, you look beautiful when you laugh. Beautiful. Dottie gives her a really weird look as if to say, what are you talking about? <laughs> because prior to that, like, um, she'd met Abney, she'd met Mr. Thelo, and he'd shouted at them because of the skunk. Yeah. Like, Buzz. I thought you said he was nice. But what makes me laugh about that is when Buzz first met him, he was cranky because he was like, don't touch that, don't touch that. So why was Buzz so surprised the second time when he was cranky? He knows he's Oh, cranky. I know what you mean. Sorry, that's just me talking chase again. Spoiling <laughs> the film for everyone. <laughs> this, this is when Mr. Slattery shows up, right? Yeah. Yes. He overhears oh. Billy making the protests about taking off the suit. They want to bury his Daniel. What? Not what is it? Daniel Boone yeah. suit. Um, why they want to bury it is beyond me, but I'm guessing it's before the time of electric washing machines. So I'm presuming there was no getting the smell out of it. Before they realized all it took was some tomato juice. <laughs> is that how you get it out? Tomato juice, yep. We don't have skunks, seriously. Oh, you're lucky. Mm. Their version is the salt in the ground will get it out. So why don't they just put salt on it? They've already yeah. got salt from Mr. Taylor. <laughs> yeah. 
But anyway, he's like in the mansion nearby. The mansion just happens to be nearby and he hears the commotion and the man from everybody, from Broadway Melody of 1938 is his book. Did he meet a skunk too? Well, many times. And he was always the first one of the crowd to take his clothes off. I knew I recognised him. <laughs> also, he's in Babes in Arms as well. He always plays the same character. Yeah. <laughs> but again, when you said that mansion, that's just round the corner. We're, this mansion is nowhere to be seen, you know, in the yeah. house in the caravan. Yeah. <laughs> that was just round the corner. Yeah. yeah. We're led to believe they're in the middle of nowhere in some little trailer park. Meanwhile, <laughs> right next door. There's like a big mansion with a butler yeah. and staff. And it's, all right. Because, like, there's literally a staff of about 10 of them serving his lunch when he hears yeah. it. So he he brings Billy and Pinky and Buzz back to his house because he pretends that he has a different costume that's even better than Daniel Boom, the Indian costume, isn't it? And then when we get to the house, they're all in the Indian costume and he's yeah. playing with Billy and they're all having a great time and all of that. I think, um, you know, it's a little bit like thank heaven for little girls sort of a thing. Like it's so innocent, but nowadays I'm not sure how it would fly that this older guy is like obsessed with Billy and all of that. I had the same thought when his um, butler fella goes to Dottie's trailer and says, oh, the boy's being disgusted, we've got, we've got the kids, can we have them for another hour? I'm yeah, of course you can. Turning up to your door now, going, oh, we've got your kid, can we have a bit longer? And you're just like, oh, yeah, I can't see why not. We'll bring you some shortbread later when we pick them up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, that's just the way it was, like, in, in that era. It was so innocent. And especially, well, I don't know if it actually was that innocent. I'm sure it was. But definitely in an MGM film, that's how innocent it was. You know? Okay, what happens next? <laughs> Uh, thunderstorm comes thunderstorm. in and Dottie and Walter Pigeon I'm just going to keep calling him Walter Pigeon <laughs> break down on the way to the mansion to pick up the, the kids and of course Billy is scared of the storm and the most gorgeous little scene comes next mm -hmm. This is also where um, when when Dottie and Walter Pigeon are in the car and they break down, this is also where Dottie starts realizing he's not the man for me because he he is too carefree right now. He he doesn't have any gas left in his secondary tank. Um, he's just he's so eh, he's so nonchalant about the whole thing. And this is kind of where, you know, she's starting to have the second thoughts, too. Right. And I also love how, because they, they just get out and walk, right? And she's, he tells her, oh, you just wait here. And she's like, no, no, I'm coming too. And it's like, well, I've never met a girl like you before. So sweet too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, then we get to the thunderstorm. <laughs> <laughs> the beautiful song. Who wants to take us away on the song? Ten pins in the sky. I think we'll all have something to say, won't we? Probably, yeah. It's gonna just say, um, Scotty Beth Beckett was so cute. Oh, he's adorable. He did grow up. He was in the Little Rascals, wasn't he? He was one who grew up with issues and died quite young, sadly. Mm. Uh, was he murdered or was it something else with him? I can't keep track of what happened to them. Some were murdered, some had overdoses. I think he was an overdose. 
I think so. And actually, I'm sorry to cut across you, Sarah, but it's the it's something that actually in the Renee Zellweger movie caught me small a small bit off guard when Renee as Judy brings up Scotty Beckett from Listen Darling in 1938. I was like, well, there's an obscure Judy reference. Yeah. It all it almost felt to me like like they were trying to just find ways to insert Judy's earlier work into the film. Yeah or something but they just took a very bizarre reference yeah yeah but he did die in like middle to late 1968 so i guess it makes sense that it would be fresh in her head apart from that sad part he was he was so cute Mm -hmm. i don't understand why he might be a bit annoying for some in parts of the film i've forgiven him for the skunks now that i know he didn't actually kill any no (laughs) But in this scene, it is just oh. oh, just the most, it's just the cutest thing here, singing to him. His face is so innocent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, I can't put it into words, so somebody else, please. Oh, you've done a, you've done a wonderful job. <laughs> it's just, oh, that one thing I love about that scene is it shows how Judy connected so well with children too. You know, she... She just had a, um, she was always so close with her niece, for example, and her niece, I think, was just born around this time, I think, around the time of Love Finds Andy Hardy, anyway, and uh, it's just, it's just so sweet. She had such a special bond um, with Scotty Beckett, and her face, (laughs) her face, his face, (laughs) her voice, Connor, as you mentioned earlier, is just unreal. You can't believe that that voice is coming out of a 16-year-old girl. You know, it's so mature and so controlled and so everything. Like, you just, you can't believe it, but it's true. <laughs> yeah. Okay, technically she's lip-syncing, but you know what I mean. At one time come from her. <laughs> yeah, at one time she went into a studio and pre-recorded the song. <laughs> yeah. Thunder starts to thunder. Don't run home and cry. They're playing ten pins in the sky. I love, I just liked the, the, the little setup when Buzz was like, Go on, let me go. And she's like, No, 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 not here, not here. And you know, she nearly didn't want to sing in front of anyone, the character Pinky, that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tell you what does make me laugh <laughs> the scene where she's singing and everyone's like engrossed. Um, Buzz like goes to ask Mr. Slattery something, and it's Freddie Bartholomew's face. He was good at comedy, I don't think he gets enough credit. And he just sort of goes, <laughs> <laughs> It's adorable, it really is. And it's it's not, um, it's not a song that pops up very often, you don't see it in like her documentaries or any compilations or anything like that it's a pity because it's it's really it's an underrated hi james hi <laughs> it's an underrated performance yeah she recorded it for Daffa, didn't she yeah and sarah like it just follows on from something you said before that like again you know she's so natural in the scene 
her acting like is so natural it's not overdone it's not anything I'm not saying she ever overacted but I just mean it's so natural mm-hmm. that was actually a point I meant to make earlier you know the way we pointed out where Love Fans Andy Hardy was the first time where a persona came to the fore you know Mickey had that word with her she started to act more natural mm. it's here in Listen All and now in full force really yeah each time she just keeps getting better and better her craft continually improves (laughs) it's amazing to see it all you know develop over time isn't it (laughs) anything else to say on 10 pins in the sky just go watch it if you haven't seen it (laughs) absolutely yeah (laughs) and this is where um Dottie and Richard show up at the house to collect the children there's the little bit as well where when he turns up, Buzz is like really annoyed. Oh, yeah. They're laughing and um, they're laughing and Pinky's like, oh, look at a Buzz. And Buzz is like proper pissed off. It makes me laugh the way Buzz is more invested in this than Pinky. He's like, no, this is not the right man. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and she does that little smile where she wrinkles her nose in that scene. <laughs> you are both drenched. I believe I can help you dry out. Pinky has finally come around on on this man and is like, yes, this is good. But it's just like, nah. <laughs> Would one of you guys like to take us through the scene with her and her mom? It's a very sweet scene. Because Pinky's like, you know, he's nice, isn't he, Dossie? And she's like, yeah. And then they listen to him sing, but you can see the realization on Dossie's face. Yeah. Oh, this is, yeah, this is the one where they're going to bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Walter Pigeon is singing Ten Pins in the Sky to himself. Oh, I was about to say then, as you know, he wasn't there, but they sang it in the car on the way back, didn't they? Yeah, they did, yeah. yeah. Scotty was asleep on their lap, or um, Billy was asleep on their laps, and it's like they're singing it so loudly, that, and then they're like, shh. And it's like they keep on singing it loudly and the child never wakes oh, up. This is when they decide they're going to go home. Mm. Uh, and okay, and this is where Pinky, uh, because she's, yeah, because they're realizing everything's coming to an end and whatnot, Pinky doesn't want to get in the way or be a burden anymore. Her, her and Billy on Dottie. So she goes back to Mr. Slattery's mansion and has a little, just a little request, a little favor, if you will. <laughs> And asks uh, Mr. Slattery to adopt, <laughs> adopt them. <laughs> so, like you just adopt someone like that. And that's a bit dramatic, like. No, not at all. <laughs> She'd heard her mum crying, hadn't mm-hmm. she, for the first time in a while in the night? She was saying to Buzz, it's like it's a different cry. She likes her mum. And she thinks she can't marry Mr. Fairlow because. As you said, he can't support, even though he's a lawyer and he's got loads of money. They can't, she could, they could still be on the road and Billy could still get his teeth fixed and Pinky could still go to sing in school. Mm -hmm. What's the problem? This is the whole like thing. Buzz gets it in his head that, you know, the other fella, Mr. Slattery, would be better because he has lots of insurance, whereas Walter Pigeon has no insurance. But he's a lawyer and I, I don't know. Anyway. Also, Mr. Slattery is very similarly built to to, to drugs. 
the banker. Now, wouldn't a banker also have plenty of insurance? What if one, one would have assumed? That was another comparison where I was like, what? what's wrong with Mr. Drubs, though? If she doesn't love drugs, why would she love Mr. Slattery? Exactly. And Buzz going on about the insurance um, makes me laugh with thingy. Mr. Fairlow says, it's your family sell insurance. Yeah. <laughs> Just got to grow up to be an insurance salesman. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is where Mr. Slattery decides to help and send the cops <laughs> yeah. to stop Walter Pigeon and help them all to reunite. When he runs into Walter Pigeon, he goes, he's trying to go back to the campsite and he runs into Walter Pigeon and between the jigs and the reels, Walter Pigeon realises Dottie is actually in love with him, which he thought she wasn't. And then Mr. Slattery is only delighted with himself and he's like, right, we've one more thing to do. And he gets the cops I can't remember how, isn't there a connection he has to the cops in some way? To the I precinct. can't remember how he gets the cops. Because there's a note like from him to that the cops are holding. It's like, please delay until the other fella comes along. There mm. is a connection. It was set up in the in the thing, how he, anyway. But, and then it just ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The ending is my biggest bugbear with the film. So the police stop them, they're driving along and Buzz is like, oh, I'm not doing any, I can't be doing close to 30. And the police are just there to obviously hold them up until Mr. Fairlow arrives. Mr. Fairlow arrives, sees the notes. Yeah, I'll be taking care of the Wingate family from now on. Gets in the car, they sing the bumpy road to love, end credits. The end. very short film because I've added on another 10 minutes to develop that ends and I was a bit more is he getting insurance is Buzz stopping being obsessed with insurance is he going to live on the road or is he realise he needs to be more responsible he'll settle down what happens to poor Mr Drops when they get back to Manson does Pinky go to singing school <laughs> is the bird okay <laughs> <laughs> that poor bird they need to listen darling too they need a yeah. sequel very, very nice, enjoyable film. And then mm, I'll be looking after the uh, Wingate family from now on. The end. The end. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it is a very, it is a very abrupt ending, isn't it? <laughs> but I guess, you know, as we've already said, this was meant to be just a very lighthearted, quick film. Just something to keep their stars relevant. Just something to keep them working. And it did just that, you know, it, it is incredibly lighthearted. It's a very enjoyable watch. And I guess plot holes just don't matter. <laughs> no, there's no, like, I know, like, this is the whole point of our podcast is to go into all this thing. But really with this film, there's no point. Just go with it and just accept yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's a very, like, nice last film before us for Judy she's presents as well yeah and this is the final film before us so this is the last time we see her before she is catapulted mm. 
into absolute superstardom. Yep. Absolutely. So thank you everyone for bearing with us through this and uh, coming on this journey into Judy's last film before she is catapulted into Oz. Um, thank you, Sarah and Connor, for, for always, always being here. <laughs> thank you for hosting. Yes. Welcome. You're welcome. Um, and exciting news for those of you who have not been following our social media pages. The Garland Gab is now on Spotify. So for those of you that do have Spotify, you, our, all of our episodes up until Love Finds Andy Hardy is now available for streaming. And uh, yeah, so super exciting stuff. Um, please do give us a follow and a rating on there because we don't have a whole lot just yet. Um, and as always, if you enjoy our content, please give us a subscribe on YouTube. Like, follow us, comment down below, ring that bell for notifications. You all know the drill. Thank you, everybody, and good night. Bye. Bye.